Hey, this is Katie Waters. You're listening to New NUMA Podcast. Tune in every week for a new podcast and make sure you subscribe. What's good, family? We know you're enjoying today's episode of New NUMA Godcast with none other than Norman Brown, the professor. But we had to interrupt briefly to tell you about Norman's latest book. Recently, with all that's been happening with the pandemic, many have had questions. And in May 2020, Norman was hospitalized for nine days with COVID-19. When he came out of the hospital, he came out with a powerful testimony of how God saved him from death and his inspiration to write his newest book, Covert COVID-19, An Attack on Kingdom Agendas. Now, in this book, he shares his personal story of how he was attacked by the spirit that causes this virus as he declared war while he was writing this book, but he overcame it through faith, prayer, and fasting. In the book, he shares the revelation that God gave him about how this virus affected and exposed certain things about the church at large, which are necessary for believers to understand what's going on and this new thing God is doing in the earth. His book is available for download today on Amazon, so get your copy today. You are tuned in to the new NUMA Godcast, hosted by Norman Brown, a.k.a. Professor, where we address the taboo from a biblical view. Our podcast is all about real talk with new life. And quite frankly, you'll either love it or you won't, because we deal with tough topics that the church rarely touches. Somebody's got to do it, and that's why we exist. So just sit back, chill, and enjoy the ride, because it's going to be good. Peace. Welcome to the podcast, Katie. How you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great, too. And um, as, you know, people that have been listening to the podcast for a while, I'm sure they know that this is your first time being on here. So uh, before we get into your story, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh, of course. Uh, Well, my name is Katie Waters. I am an artist, musician, based in L.A., um, but I grew up in Arkansas and Dallas, so I am uh, raised in the South. Those are where my roots are, uh, but super grateful to be uh, working under Sony right now and uh, working on my uh, sophomore album under them. Uh, third overall, but sophomore with them. Okay, so um, I know that you're from Arkansas, um, Fayetteville, right? Yes, Fayetteville. Okay, Fayetteville, Arkansas. College town. <laughs> yeah. So I actually, um, I had only found out about that city recently when I found out um, that we have listeners there, actually. And um, and I was like, oh, okay, cool. That's the second Fayetteville I ever heard of because the only Fayetteville I knew of before that was North Carolina. So North Carolina, uh, yeah. Get confused. Yeah. yeah it's so, a, uh, it's a, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, no. I was just going to say uh, it's not too far from the capital, um, like only about three hours, and uh, it's the third biggest city in Arkansas, but um, very homey, you know, homegrown, roots-based place. Okay, so now, obviously, growing up there, it sounds like, I mean, when I think of Arkansas, just to be honest, I think of, you know, fields of endless, you know, uh, maybe farms or something like that or whatever. (laughs) 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 That's all I think of Arkansas. I don't really know what to expect (laughs) going there, but... um, so tell me about, like, I mean, your family and everything. Yes. I mean, it is true. There is a lot of rural areas. And I know anytime I get off the plane from L.A. to go home and see people and my family, uh, I do see, like, 
cows and <laughs> in the uh, fields and whatnot. You know, it's a little homey, but you know, it's a it's a college town. We have U of A down there. Um, you know, uh, the Clintons were based there for a little bit. Um, so, and the Razorbacks, you have the football team there. Uh, so, it's a uh, it's not as rural as uh, one might perceive, just on, based on uh, you know first glance. But uh, something I really like about it is it was always very community-based. I grew up pretty much knowing everyone, uh, you know, went to church uh, and, uh, you know, grew up and really knowing my community, which um, I think is rare, especially uh, when you look at big cities like – where you're based, like Baltimore or L.A. or New York, it's kind of harder to have that, uh, to have that uh, foundation and um, connecting with people that closely. So I think that was something I look back on and I really appreciate growing up with. So how many um, siblings do you have, or do you have any? Uh, I'm an only child, yeah. I'm a, I'm my mom and dad's only one. <laughs> oh, okay. So how was that? Because I don't know what it's like being the only child. I have three siblings, so I'm oh, the oldest. Okay. I don't know anything about that. How was that for you? Oh wow, the eldest. Okay, um, you had a lot of responsibility, I'm sure. Um, for me, uh, it was cool. Uh, my parents split at a very young age, so. I was kind of used uh, to being with my dad, and uh, uh, so I, I basically was raised by a single dad for the most part. Um, yeah, it was interesting. I had a lot of um, male influences and strong figures in my life. Um, my dad uh, is a retired police officer, so I grew up uh, going to the station all the time, um, and living there and uh that was kind of my family in a way um everybody that you know my dad worked with so that was kind of we made our own family (laughs) but um so did you have did you have a lot of cousins or anything like that Yes, I have a lot of cousins. Um, my mom is actually uh, the eldest of 12, um, <laughs> and she was, oh, yes, oh, yes, big Mexican family um, on that side. But um, yeah, she's the eldest of 12. She was adopted by Christian missionaries, so I have a lot of aunts and uncles uh, from her adopted side as well as her biological. Um, my dad is he comes from a family of three kids, so they have kids. And I, my cousins that I grew up with that were close to my age felt a lot like my siblings um, because of how close we were. So it, it definitely, you know, I got the big family vibes. I have so many cousins. I have people. I have family tucked away pretty much everywhere in uh, <laughs> the country. So no missing of that. So I noticed that you said Mexican. So are you yeah. like by ethnic or what? I'm multicultural. I I grew up. Uh, I'm biracial. My mom is a Mexican immigrant, and uh, my dad is uh, Caucasian and indigenous, but uh, all American, Southern guy. So. Um, definitely two different worlds coming together. And, you know, I take that into my own heritage and uh, it's been interesting. (laughs) So can you explain something? I'm just curious. We said indigenous. What does that mean? Indigenous, like uh, Native American. I have um, Creek is the tribe that my family um, came from on my dad's side. Okay. Um, it was always really big with, like, my gramps uh, talking about our ancestors, where we came from, uh, you know, and preserving, like, history and artifacts passed down in the family, stuff like that. So I always mention it if I'm asked. So. Yeah, so growing up kind of 
uh, biracial or in that case, I would say more like multi, like you got Native American, Caucasian, and Mexican. Um, yeah. How was that for you in Arkansas? Because I, mean, I might be sounding a little like ignorant of how it is over <laughs> there, but is it kind of like there are there ethnic issues, you know, with people, you know, hating certain people because they're not certain whatever? Absolutely. And I think you'll find that anywhere. I think the South definitely gets a bad rep for it and in the Midwest in general. Um, but, uh, I mean, I experience racism even in L.A. But, uh, but yeah, I grew up in a predominantly white community. I went to, you know, I was taught by white teachers, uh, went to school with white kids. And I was usually the token. I was like the token brown girl uh, in my church and in my uh, in my surroundings in school. So um, I definitely dealt with it. It was, you know, extremely uh, difficult to go through and uh, uh, try to understand it, especially as a child, you know, when you're refused service or treated like a second-class citizen at like eight years old you don't get it you don't understand um and you just try to rationalize it how people can be feel can be uh filled with uh ignorance and have hate in their hearts like that but all you can do is just uh be yourself you know know who you are where you stand and uh, let your own light come through. And, you know, it always, light and love always um, overcasts darkness like that. But uh, that's what got me into music was um, my own struggles with, um, you know, never really fitting into one box or checking one box because it, because I was biracial. So I definitely had a little bit of an identity crisis early on in my developmental years. And I was searching uh, for, you know, that moment of understanding. And I found it in music. I found it in, you know, studying black civil rights, which, uh, you know, uh, in the 60s, which uh, inspired the, my, uh, the Latino civil rights of the 1960s. And, uh, you know, I just really took to what was being said in artists like Nina Simone, Billie Holiday, um, really strong uh minority women who were speaking for their people and speaking for civil rights uh through their music and letting their messages come through so i was always very inspired by that and uh you know it was the first time i felt understood wow so how in the world did uh racial or I'll, I'll just tell you because this is one of the big issues that I deal with on the podcast. Um, how did, when you talk about ethnic groups, because I, I don't like using the word racial only because I believe we're all one race, but I know that there are different ethnic groups and tribes and nations and tongues, like the Bible says. Of course. And, um, of course. So, so I'm only saying that not because, you know, I'm trying to say don't use the word racial. I'm just saying that. I'm not using it because I'm trying to educate people that we're all the same race, but we're different ethnic right. groups. So, but for the sake of this conversation, we're going to say racial. Um, and being that you were saying that you experienced racism growing up, how was that something that led you into singing? I mean, I'm trying to figure out how would one connect with the other. Oh, of course. I mean, uh, well, my dad, my dad was blonde, blue-eyed, uh, uh, Caucasian man. You know what I mean? Uh, he didn't grow up um, having to deal with what I had to. When I walked into a classroom or I walked into a store, you know, holding my father's hand, sometimes there would be stairs and um, I was treated you know, I, I had different problems than he did uh, growing up. And I think that was something that was hard at first to understand. And, uh, you know, I just really needed guidance in that. I needed somebody to lead me to uh, understanding how people can 
be filled with ignorance like that. Um, you know, so I think for me, it was, uh, of course, going to God and uh, coming to music. Um, the first thing I remember was being uh, nine years old, listening to Strange Fruit by Billie Holiday. And um, it shook me to my core. I, I feel like for a long time, I was asleep. And I was looking for those answers. I was praying for those answers to um, understand uh, who I was and what I represent and uh, how to walk and live in my and breathe in my own skin. And I think uh, listening to songs like Strange Fruit, listening uh, to Billy and Nina talk about their experiences and um, as you said, for the sake of this conversation, racial strife that does happen between uh, communities, it was something I understood. I understood it at eight years old. I understood it, you know, walking into a store and having uh, people tell me not to, you know, breathe near them or in their direction or uh, being called racial slurs. So I... I completely understood it, and it it felt like almost an out-of-body experience having uh, those kind of emotions come through and connect in a a story that was long before me, you know what I mean? So I think that's the power of music, being able to connect and transcend um, to the soul. I am really blown away, and um, I'm going to say shocked by someone telling a kid, don't breathe in my direction. That was right. crazy. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I've never heard anything that like that before. I mean, I've had my share of slurs and stuff spoken towards me, but um, that's something I've never had said to me. Wow. I mean, and then face to your face. Wow. So, I take it that your father, even though he may be of, you know, kind of what we would call biracial heritage or whatever, he looks more like he's a Caucasian male. Right. He, he looks like, uh, he looks like a Caucasian man. Nobody would ever know unless he said, you know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, so it, it was definitely a challenge walking that walk and, you know, finding my, my place and all of that. Now, I heard you say earlier um, that you grew up with your father. Now, for me, um, that's a very rare thing to hear about a child growing up with just their father. And I know that your mom was around somewhere, but what happened with her, if you don't mind sharing? Um, you know, my mom was in Texas, and I would go to visit her, but it was one of those things where um, my dad was the one who, you know, was going to take care of me. Um, of course, it's not that my mother didn't want to. It's just uh, that's how it happened. My, uh, you know, my mom is a little bit in that sort of world was a little bit of an outsider. She's an immigrant. Um, She's a woman. Uh, My dad had a certain position being a police officer. Um, He knew that community, and uh, that's just how it happened. So So as far as, like, yeah, so as far as, like, uh, the influence of, like, okay, so I know that you were influenced in music by, um, you know, other than Caucasian, but, like, aside from that, were you really, like, influenced in the sense of um, by non-Caucasians outside of just the music? Um, yes. Yes, definitely. I think, um, you know, as a kid, like I said, I grew up in a predominantly white community, um, but there were other areas. Um, the The music director of my church, um, Dr. Eddie Jones, 
was uh, was black, and uh, he led the gospel uh, choir and sound to come through the church. So I think I was definitely influenced by that. Um, and then in my teens, when I, you know, moved to Dallas and was, you know, in a, a city of two million plus people, there was so much diversity that, you know, I, I definitely, my bubble was popped and I was able to experience more ethnicities and uh, understand different cultures, um, which I think was super important and something I had been um, searching for anyways. So definitely, definitely. And I mean, I, I mean, just straight up, most of my musician friends are black. So of course it's, it's yeah. influenced me as a person, how I see the world and how I allow that to transcend and translate into my music for sure. Now I know that, uh, Obviously, you were going to church growing up, so I'm assuming that means your father was a Christian? Yes. Both of my parents are uh, Christians. Okay. And um, being that you were in that environment growing up, I mean, now I grew up, I had uh, in the beginning of my life, in the first, like, 10 years, I was in a two-parent home, and then my parents divorced and I was growing up in a, with my mom in that sense of, you know, living with her mainly, but then visiting mm -hmm. my father. Um, so I'm familiar with the single parent and the two parent home lifestyles, you know? Um, yeah. But I was obviously mostly around my mother when it was like after the divorce in that sense. But, um, with you obviously being around your father, what would you say is probably one of the biggest things that that did for you being around your father? Because a lot of times uh, females, they have a lot of identity issues with not being around a father and, and or being mistreated by males and then their father isn't there to affirm them or whatever the case may be. So, how was it like that with you and your father um, when it came to, um, I guess, how you look at males, how you view men? Um, I think my dad, um, you know, like I said, he was an officer. So um, our family was very much, uh, dad always put a lot of responsibility on me. He trusted me. And uh, my dad had to work what's called, like, graveyards, like graveyard yeah, shifts. Yeah. Back to back to back, you know. Uh, so I, it was my job to make sure my schoolwork was done, make sure I get to school, um, and to take care of myself while he was away. So I think it definitely fostered in me an accelerated maturity, having to do that for myself and uh, and wanting to make my father proud of me and let him know, you know, that everything was taken care of while he was gone and trying to provide. So I always understood that. Um, for me, I mean, I think what it taught me is that I can handle anything, anything that's thrown at me because there's always going to be um, challenges that arise. There's always going to be trials that we go through. We know that. It says that in the Bible. Um, and uh, how I look at men through that, I mean, <laughs> to me, I think it's just, uh, it's, it's taught me, if anything, I can be independent. I can handle things and, uh, you know, uh, the the right person who knows that um you know i uh, i can be compatible with i guess so to speak it's just about uh, for me it's about being grounded i guess that's what i look for in um how i view men yeah being grounded being uh of faith and uh uh treating women definitely with respect so now, one of the things you said earlier that uh, 
I didn't go into more of. I want to know when you were talking about the rejection that you experienced in school, like what did that push you to do, I guess, more of or whatever? Because I know that a lot of times, and, you know, especially when you're talking about bullying, because I used to get bullied in school, so I know what that's like. And, um, you know, when you're bullied or rejected or whatever, that can push you into either positive things more so or it could push you into negative things or whatever but how did that rejection and and being treated a certain way in school how did that affect you i mean it was difficult um sometimes it would affect me academically uh i had a teacher who was prejudiced and i wanted uh to be in higher learning classes and it it didn't matter how much uh, how high I tested if she didn't want me in the room I wasn't in the room so I think stuff like that it just makes you stronger it makes you uh, more determined to reach your goals Uh, if anything it made me um, a fighter and a survivor Um, and I just it, it made me not want to be such a people pleaser uh, because there's always going to be someone who doesn't see you for who you are and who isn't going to accept your light. Um, But it's not always about that. It's about uh, being the light to others and showing them love in spite of how you're treated or mistreated. And that's what it's about for me. Yeah, so now, obviously, growing up in a Christian home, there are things that, you know, um, are expected of you. And um, But that doesn't mean that just because you grow up in a Christian home, you were just accepting of Jesus right away or at an early age or whatever. So, like, at what point in your life um, did you... Like, when you were going to church at a younger, you know, and you're, let's say, from eight to, like, teenage years, early teenage years or whatever, I mean, what was what was your view of Jesus going to church, all that kind of stuff? Um, uh, for me, I feel like I, I definitely was very strong in my faith as a child. Um, I didn't question it. Um, I've always been um, more perceptive of uh, things and spirituality in general. Uh, So for me, I could just, I mean, I've had things happen in my life that are just unexplainable, and they're miracles, like things that you just, that shouldn't have happened, but they do. And um, for me, it's always been, the explanation of God and the spirit being there with you constantly. And to be honest, you know, uh, growing up, um, it was comforting to me to know that God was with me and it's what kept me going and, uh, kept me, uh, okay in those rough years. So for me, I depended on it completely. Um, I think, as I came more into myself as a teenager, that's when I started um, really looking into everything, you know. Uh, I mean, even in school we were taught about uh, different religions, had to study it. But for me, it's always been um, Christianity and God. Um, But, uh, I mean, there are things that I don't um, always agree with, um, I, that I have seen, uh, sometimes the churches do, um, you know, but, uh, overall I feel like, uh, you know, my place is with God and walking through Christ. That's when I don't feel lost and I feel like myself and I feel that I'm home. So I wanted to, um, say, well, I, I heard you talk about some miracles. Can you share one or two miracles that made you kind of solidified in your faith in God and knowing that he exists, he's real in your life? Sure, absolutely. Um, 
Mm. Well, there are a few. Um, this is a simple one, um, but I remember as a child uh, being out on the playground. I was probably eight or nine years old, and it's such a it's it's definitely such a simple wish, like a child's wish to just wanting to be held. It had been a difficult day, and I knew I wouldn't be able to see my dad when I got home. And um, I remember being upset and just praying to God that I could be held. Um, And I remember, like, the weirdest thing happened where I felt warmth surround me and surround my body. Um, And it was winter. It was very cold outside. The wind was blowing, but I felt so warm and I felt enveloped by love. And it felt like a supernatural event, but it felt like somebody was holding me. And um, that was, that's one thing that comes to mind where I was, where I immediately knew, like, he's here, you know, he's here. He's with Mm -hmm. me. Always. So um, there's there's stuff like that that's happened where I just can't explain it. It just happened. Yeah. And mm-hmm. um, if it, and it's not something you can see. It's something you feel. So, <laughs> which that can be completely described as our whole our whole faith. You know, it's what we feel, not what we see. Um, and then other ways. Um, I was having a very difficult time right when I was coming into my teens and um, it was getting harder. I felt like I was going through the motions and I was telling God like I needed help. I needed, um, I couldn't keep doing it, you know, the way I was. I couldn't keep walking through life the way I was and I needed support in my life and foundation And um, the strangest thing happened where my mother had a dream, like she was being wrestled by angels and, you know, saying, you have to go to Katie, you have to go see her, you have to be with her. And, you know, no questions asked. My mom came from Texas uh, to, you know, come and be with me. so, so stuff like that, like miracles, just very, like, telling dreams and, you know, stuff like that saved me, completely saved me, and I was heard. Simple as that. Yeah, so that's that's cool. I've had some uh, miraculous things myself that happened when I was young and a uh, little boy, and one of them was I was in a um, a lake and I was sitting on one of those floating chairs, and I was right by the dock, but um, I was pushed away from it a little bit. And um, I did what most people, well, everybody does when they sit back in a chair. They kind of lean forward a little bit and then push themselves back. And that's what I did. And as soon as I did that, the thing flipped, and I went straight down into the water. And at that time, I was eight years old. I did not know how to swim. And I went straight oh to the bottom of the lake. <laughs> and I remember being down there in the water, and I was just kind of like looking around in peace. I was at peace. And I was underwater. And, you know, I mean, if you think about it, I didn't have time to uh, to, you know, take some big, deep breath or whatever going underwater. I didn't know I was getting ready to go underwater. So it was just a surprise to me, and I went straight down under. But while I was underwater, I felt like I was breathing, like I was able to breathe or something. And, it's, you know, obviously that's a miracle to be able to breathe underwater. But I was either breathing or it was like I had a supernatural amount of oxygen in my lungs because I was not, like, gasping for air. And um, right. then, all, then all of a sudden my arm, I think it was my left arm, started to go up in the air. Well, either not the air, but, you know, it was going up above my head. 
in the water, and then my body went to the top of the lake. I didn't push myself. I didn't, like I told you, I didn't know how to swim. All I knew is that I just went up like somebody was carrying me, pulling me up to the surface of the water. And when my hand came out of the water, um, I don't know how long afterwards, but my hand was out of the water, and somebody came along and grabbed my hand and pulled me out. And um, and it happened to be a friend of my father's, and um, and he pulled me out, and he was like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm okay. I wasn't breathing hard. I wasn't, like, scared or anything like that. But I knew that was one of those moments. It was a miraculous moment where God was showing me that he's real. So I definitely, mm-hmm. you know, understand, you know, what you mean by that, you know, how there's a certain things Sometimes you can't explain it, but it just happens, and then you just kind of, you know, you know it's a it's a sign from the lawyer that that he's real and that he's with you. Um, so I just want to say before we go on again, I know I already said this the other day, but happy belated birthday! And I'm Aww. just curious. <laughs> so I know that your birthday just passed a few days ago. And uh, what did you what did you end up doing for your birthday? Anything special? Oh, it was nice. I ended up going um, because our stay at home orders were lifted here in California, so we can outdoor dining as or outdoor dine as long as we um, you know are social distanced and away from people. And uh, luckily, there was only like uh, one other table that had anyone there so I actually went out I uh, was out with a few of my friends after we got tested and tested negative and uh, you know it was the most normal I felt in a while (laughs) getting to see everybody and um, you know appreciating each other each other's company so it was really nice and how old are you now 24 I'm 24 yes okay so um I remember when I first reached out to you that um, you made a statement that really, like, it struck me as very interesting how you said it. Um, You said you want to be a voice for the voiceless. And I just wanted to know what that looks like and and what made you that kind of person. I mean, I can kind of, I can kind of already get an idea based on how you grew up, but Tell me more about that, what that means to you. Uh, To me, it means more representation. I think uh, for so many people uh, who who have grown up, uh, you know, uh, people of color, it's harder for us to see ourselves um, reflected in television and in art. Um, And for me, I just think it's very important to have that foundation to have to feel like you're being seen so um you know my my goal has always been to be that for someone else to be what I wanted as a child um or growing up or just being inspired um you know by by a strong uh artist especially strong female artists So um, my goal has always been to just be that, Um, also to help in different causes that I can. Um, I'm very passionate about farm workers' justice and making sure essential workers are um, treated with care and have better quality of life. Um, There's so much that I didn't know as a kid where where things come from, uh, where uh, how our food is made, how it's brought to the table, who does that just basic basic uh, needs that we go through every day, and you just had no idea um, how much struggle is in that. Um, and I view people the same way, to, uh, to try to unearth the struggle and be the light that can um, shine through that. And uh, my goal is to, to be able to do that and to hopefully um, continue to do that through my music. Now, I know that uh, some people uh, might look at what you're uh, talking about as being kind of uh, 
daunting because that's a lot of, it sounds like a lot of different types of uh, things that you're concerned about. What made you concerned about those specific things, like you talking about farm workers and stuff like that? Like what was it about farm workers? I think it's just history, you know. I um, became very close with Dolores Huerta and her foundation out here. Um, She's a civil rights leader and uh, made a lot of noise in the 60s and continues to do so. Um, Worked with Cesar Chavez and, uh, you know, uh, was very inspired by the black civil rights. So I think everything kind of, it's a domino effect that goes into each other and connects with each other. You know, I started out reading about people um, in the civil rights, the black civil rights, um, and, um, you know, and artists who were a part of that, like Nina Simone, Marian Anderson, and whatnot. And that led me to um, Latino civil rights as well. I think it's so important that people understand that they are loved, that they are seen, and that they matter, and that they deserve equality. They deserve um, basic, better quality of life. Um, I think that's so, so vital and important. And um, to be honest, I mean, coming from uh, being an immigrant's daughter, really helped me see that as well and acknowledge that because I see my mother in stranger spaces and I see my grandmother who also immigrated as well um, in stranger spaces. So it does connect me to that and want to be able to help through that. And also just making friends who, you know, went through this, like, um, like Dolores Huerta, who is, just so amazing and such a superhero at what she does, superwoman, and her children as well. So that's what opened my eyes to that and honestly made me more, gave me more humility and understanding and appreciation for food that is brought to my table, you know, and what it takes for that to get there and to be able to provide. Now, um, obviously, there's a question that a lot of people want to know when it comes to your musical side. Like, who did you get this musical, your singing gift and all that stuff from? Um, You know, it was me, to be honest. Um, My family, my mom doesn't sing, not at all. Um, (laughs) And uh, my dad would play guitar sometimes and um, sort of a little bit. But I think it was they since I was a kid, since I was little, probably at the age of two, I kind of always was singing. And um, I was one of those kids who always knew what I wanted to do. I knew I I knew I was going to be an artist and I knew I wanted to be on a stage and that that was what I was called to do. I just could feel it in every fiber of my being that that's what I was meant for. Um, and that's how I could serve. So, um, to me that, that part of it was at least easy. Thank God. Um, that was never a question. (laughs) I never had to wonder. So how would you describe your music? Because I know the genre and we'll get into that in a minute, but how would you describe it as far as, like, if someone say said, what do you sing about? What do you write about? What, how would you describe it? Um, I would describe it as soulful, um, and I would describe it as uh, storytelling, you know. That's what my, my um, songs are always based in. And what kind of stories do you tell typically? Um, I usually tell, uh, I write about anything, to be honest. I write about um, my own stories. I write about, I like writing from different perspectives as well. I write about what's real to me and what's truthful to me. Now, I want to ask you something based on the fact that I know that 
you categorize you, you categorize your music as soul slash R and B, and typically, yes. you know, when I think of R and B, I'm thinking of love love songs. I'm not saying that they're just <laughs> always love songs, but I'm just saying most of the time, I'm thinking love songs when I hear the word R and B. But in your case, what would you say when you're talking about R and B or soul? I mean, I know you're saying you're telling stories, but like how how is it that um you are you saying when you say it's R and B or soul, are you saying that because of the way that the music as far as the um the instrument sound or are you saying that based on, you know, the types of songs that you're singing? I would say instrumentation for sure and definitely um I guess as artists, we're always put into a box. We have to fit a certain genre in order to uh, be categorized. But if anything, I am a collection of everything I've ever listened to, like anyone else. Um, You know, there's jazz influences. I have hip-hop influences. I have definitely R&B just based on what I grew up listening to, soul, because I, I grew up on Motown. I grew up on jazz. Um, so I, I think that's always there. It's always, even if it's underneath uh, a few layers, it's always there in my sound and in my voice. Um, as far as like, uh, R&B and being love songs, I write about everything. I write about love. I write about loss. I write about, um, struggles. So I try to cover everything as honestly as I can and in real time with what people are experiencing so I can connect through that and um, be a voice in that. So it sounds like your father must have been into Motown and stuff like that, or am I Not at incorrect? all. Not at all. <laughs> no. Uh, he so, thought I was the weirdest child. I would – I was um, – we didn't have cable growing up until I was about 11. So there was four channels on the TV, right? There was cooking, cartoons, um, the weather channel, regular local news channel. And then there was an oldies station where they just showed reruns of shows. My favorite show was Good Times. So I was always doing, like, J.J. Walker impressions. I would walk uh-huh. around like a peacock going, dynamite, you know, like, my dad thought it was weird. She's like, I don't know what to do with this child. Like, she is her own being. <laughs> like, and um, I was in love with Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell, and I loved their stories, Um And, you know, my dad was very strict about what we even brought into the household, which I understand anything you take in, it does, you know, get into you. So I get that. But um, I also wanted to explore (laughs) just as a human. So uh, I do recall, like, begging my dad to listen. I won't listen to sexual healing, I promise. Just listen, let me listen to the other Marvin stuff. I love him, <laughs> you know. I love his What's sound, going on? You know? <laughs> What's going on, you know, everything. Yeah. You know? He's like, all right, like after relenting. But, yeah, dad always thought I was weird. He's like, that's my kid, but, you know. She, she's doing her thing. <laughs> but, so it it always kind of came through me. I th- I feel like everything was always just instinctual. Mm-hmm. So as far as like, because all of these types of things sound like a bunch of different cultures that were obviously influencing you and whatnot, but as far as like on your father's side of the family, were you influenced by Creek Indian or Native American stuff at all or, like, directly, not that you knew about it, but that you were actually influenced by it? Absolutely. Um, and that came, that comes through uh, my gramps, who was my father's father. My gramps um, was very indigenous-looking. He had the cheekbones, like, the nose, always wearing his moccasins um, around the house and he would tell me the story of our ancestors. 
And um, to me, it was magical. I was always a fan of history. I loved it. I loved knowing the people who came before. I thought it was fascinating, even as a kid. So uh, my favorite thing was listening to my, my grandpa tell the story, you know, of, you know, uh, our ancestors and uh, who came before us. So, uh, you know, it was always very prominent, like Trail of Tears in my family. My family was actually, uh, my father and his siblings were paid um, restitutions for what they endured having to um, walk the Trail of Tears and, you know, um, being forced uh, to move and whatnot. Um, and then I also had ancestors who hid in trees, you know, to get away. <laughs> So it's just, you know, a collection. But I think it's important to know your roots and to know where you came from so you can uh, continue on the legacies. And I've always had a profound respect for that. Wow. So you say your father's siblings. Why didn't your father receive anything? Well, my father and his siblings, because of um, it, it had something to do with the 70s when they were uh, specifically giving restitutions during that time. Okay. Um, so as far as the, um, going back to talking about your music. Um, yeah. Now, I know that you said that you always had a strong, you know, faith in the Lord. So I'm assuming that means that you never kind of strayed away or anything. I didn't. Um, I think, honestly, uh, the only time for me was probably in my teens when I was struggling the most. I uh, had a lot of trauma in my life. So um, I think it is a battle. You have to fight that and know that you are loved and you're safe and uh, those things can't harm you anymore. Uh, so for me, I think that was the only thing was it was hard to hold on during that. So that was my struggle for a bit there. But otherwise, no, I've always felt like God is with me and there's a comfort in that that I take to the highest regard. What's up, family? This is Norman. Thanks for listening to New Numa. We appreciate you and that includes your feedback. What do you like most about the podcast? What are your favorite subjects? What types of guests would you like to hear more? Shoot us an email today at new.numa.podcast at gmail.com and let us know your thoughts. Peace.